Good morning, and welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me in the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Therefore, holy and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. O Lord, we thank you for this time and for this place than this morning that we can come and worship you. We pray that you would speak to us this morning and change our hearts. Amen.
Amen. What a powerful declaration of what God has done for us in Christ. It's so great to see you as we gather for worship today, as we join our hearts and minds in singing, prayer, reading of the word. Take a moment and share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship this morning. I'm normally not encouraging you to use your cell phones during church, uh, but I'm going to give you a pass today if you are using it, uh, if you have a QR code reader, and if you don't know what that is, you probably don't have it on your phone, but if you have that on your phone and it will scan the little box in the corner of your insert, uh, that will take you to sign up for the prayer vigil. And if you're going to do that, then I'll give you a free pass to use your phone today in church. The prayer vigil starts today. First person is in the room at 5 o'clock. We have a service here at 4.30 to uh, prepare us. Uh, we'll be doing some singing, reading of scripture, uh, lighting candles, sharing together. And we, we hope you'll join us, not only for uh, the prayer vigil, but also for the service today. And it'll be about a half an hour or so. And uh, as you can see from the pictures, we have uh, a lot of uh, new things in the prayer room, different ways to... Uh, connect with uh, the, our various senses and various ways in which we hear and speak to God. And you can use any of those. You can go in and sit in a chair with your Bible and simply do what you might normally do on your own. There, and the, there are no rules to being a part of the prayer vigil. We just would love to have you participate. Uh, you can sign up actually this morning as you leave the service. There's a sign up uh, computer in the back. You can do it online anytime. Call the church office if you have any help, need any help. I know that so on that calendar, we're trying to fix this, but sometimes it's a little hard to tell which times are taken and which times aren't. If you have any trouble with that, just let us know and we will assist you uh, in every way that we can. As I've been thinking about the vigils, I was praying in the prayer room this week. The, the vision that came to my mind was Exodus 40. The people have prepared uh, all of the things for the tabernacle. And now at Exodus 40, God says to Moses... All right, bring it all together. Put up the tents. Bring in the ark. Bring in the bowls and the basins and the utensils and the curtains. And put, get it all ready. And it says that when they got it all ready and everything was in place, they stepped back and the glory of the Lord came down upon that place. And that's what I'm praying will happen with us. We spent a lot of time and a lot of people preparing the room, preparing the space now we're praying that the glory of the Lord will descend upon us. And we want all of us to be a part of that. So thank you in advance for participating. And we're looking forward to hearing what God is going to do in us and for us.
Our Old Testament scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 14 through 21. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they, went, so they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. God of our fathers, we see the faith, courage, and holiness of those who have gone before us, and we realize how often we fall short of their witness. Forgive us when doubts stifle our faith. Forgive us when fear paralyzes our courage. Forgive us when our desire for self overwhelms our desire to be holy. As we pray these words of confession, let us hear your promise of pardon. If we confess our sins, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. The New Testament reading is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, 
and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. take this time now to give back to you. We pray that you would use these gifts for more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.
spend some time praying together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today acknowledging your greatness, God of power and might, and we acknowledge your loving kindness, God of mercy and grace. We bow before you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to pour out our hearts to you. Father, we've come today with a wide variety of concerns and struggles In this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we pray today for people who are grieving ask that you would comfort them. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health and ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Think especially of Bill Getty and Warren Woolsey, Ted Hopkins, Evelyn Heil, Alice Brown, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth and Dick Gould. Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and others for whom we are concerned today. Father, we thank you for the ministry of uh, 10-3 and of Anthony Petrillo, and we pray that you would continue to bless him. And as he goes to Africa, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on him and through him. And as he works with the school there, we pray that you would bless their efforts and that it would lead to great things for your kingdom. And Father, on this day when we join churches all over the world to pray for our brothers and sisters, the persecuted church, hear our prayers. We pray for safety and protection. We pray for courage and strength. We pray for a witness that reveals what can only be described as you in us. Lord, pour out your spirit on your church around the world. And we pray that you will help them to know our love and support and more than anything, your presence in the difficulties of simply living out their faith. Father, we thank you for your grace to each of us. And we ask that as we prepare for this prayer vigil, as we begin today in these next three weeks, you would be glorified as we give our time to pray. Pour out your spirit on us. Let your glory fall upon us. Do more than we could dream or imagine. Father, continue to give us a new perspective about what's really important in life. Give us a spirit of humility. And let our hearts reflect the spirit of Jesus 
every moment of every day. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
In many ways, to be human is to feel pain. We feel physical pain. We also feel emotional, internal pain. It is probably one of the, uh, the parts of being human that we hate the most. Because every one of us at some point in our lives, I'm sure some of us today are dealing with this today in our lives, people hurt us, disappoint us, betray us. And we are left to try to figure out how to deal with that. How do we respond, not just as individuals, but as the church, to the hurt and the pain and the betrayals and the opposition of life? I think there is something of that question that is in this story we read this morning from the 16th chapter of Acts. Paul and Silas have come to Philippi to share the gospel. And on their way to the synagogue every morning, there is a young girl who is possessed by an evil spirit that keeps yelling at them. She's yelling the truth that they are there to tell people about Jesus, but there's something about it that is, uh, well, the word the scripture uses is Paul's annoyed by it. And in fact, he comes to a point where he's so annoyed, he stops and he says, okay, that's enough. I don't know why he waited so so long to do that. He think he'd done it the first day, but... Finally, it gets to him, and he turns and he says, cast out the spirit. Which we would say, that's awesome. He set this young woman free. The problem is this woman, because she has the spirit, is able to tell fortunes and make a lot of money for the people who own her. And now they are out of luck. And so they start this riot, and Paul and Silas are arrested and beaten and thrown into prison. And you would think Paul and Silas would be sitting in prison plotting their revenge. I mean, not that we might ever think that way, but you would think they might think that way. Because human beings have a tendency to do that. But they don't. In this story, underlying this whole story, there is this spirit of forgiveness. And when we ask the question, what does the church offer? I'm sure there are many answers that we could find. But one of those answers is that the church offers forgiveness in the midst of pain and betrayal and opposition. Forgiveness is an interesting dynamic of life because it is often something that surprises people. It's not the natural human response. The natural human response is vengeance, or at least retribution, and anger, and bitterness, and I, I, you know, I, I got to make sure that they know how I feel, and they and they get I get back at them. That's the natural human response, and people are always surprised when someone chooses forgiveness. It is one of the most powerful parts of our witness as Christians, which is probably why Jesus tells his disciples. Okay, it's great that you love people who love you, but quite frankly, anybody can do that. What marks you as different as my followers is that those enemies, those people that hate you, those people that are against you, you love them. And you forgive them. 
That's what sets you apart. And that's exactly what I see in Paul and Silas as they sit in the stinking, rotten prison. They're there not because they should be there. They haven't done anything wrong. They've done nothing but good. And they're there for the kingdom. They've been telling people about Jesus. You would think that of all people, Christians would, be, would get a break on opposition. But the very fact that we have set aside this day, that it's been set aside this day, that people all over the world are praying for the persecuted church tells us that being a follower of Jesus doesn't cut you a break. In fact, usually things get harder. And we have to figure out how we're going to respond to that. Are we going to hang on to that bitterness? Are we going to hang on to the anger, hang on to the resentment, hang on to the frustration? Or like Paul and Silas and Stephen in chapter 7, are we going to say, Father, forgive them? Now, I think one of the reasons we struggle with forgiveness is because we have a tendency to equate forgiveness with saying, in essence, it's no big deal what you did to me. But that's not forgiveness. One author says to forgive isn't a way of saying, never mind. No. Forgiveness doesn't minimize our pain and it doesn't ignore the truth. The reality is we need to acknowledge that we've been hurt. That we feel pain. That something that shouldn't have happened to us has happened to us. How can we forgive something if we deny that it really happened or that it really has bothered us? The first step is admitting it and acknowledging it. And that can be hard for us because that sort of brings back the pain. But it's not like it's not there anyway. Some of the Psalms that... We read, quite frankly, we don't read them in church without explaining them because they're startling, disturbing, to be honest with you. And if you just read those psalms and then walk away from them, we're all left thinking, what in the world was that about? You want God to do what to those people? And how? Really? Something in the back of our mind is thinking, that doesn't sound very Christian. Eugene Peterson once wrote that the Psalms are in many ways a a journal for the people of Israel. And, And I resonate with that explanation because when you think of a journal, it's that it's something private that you write down your thoughts, and in a journal, you're honest. You're angry, you're upset, you're irritated, you're frustrated, you write down things, and you often write down things that you probably really don't want to happen, but you just need to get it out. And you need to acknowledge that you have these feelings. And, and I think that sometimes the Psalms are like that. The Israelites are not afraid to say, God, we've been hurt, we've been opposed, and you need to do something about it. The answer is not denial. The answer is the truth. I've been amazed for years of the... Reading about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. You know that when after apartheid ended and Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa, he appointed Bishop Desmond Tutu to lead this commission. And, and their purpose was to get the truth out there so that 
in hearing the truth, there could be reconciliation. And everyone in the country who had been hurt, in whatever form, was invited to come to the commission and tell their story. All the agony, all the pain, all the heartache, all the disturbing details. And some of them had the opportunity to speak directly to those who had hurt them. But the point of the commission was not vindictiveness. Well, now we know who to go after. It was in recognizing that when you name things like that, you can now begin the process of doing something about them. You can begin the process of forgiving. When you speak the truth. That's why I think prayer is such a vital part of forgiveness. It's often in prayer that, that God begins to... It's in prayer that we have the opportunity to tell God how we're fe- what we're feeling and thinking. And in prayer, God has the opportunity to come back to us with what we need to do. It's in prayer that that we hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. It's a prayer that Stephen prays in Acts 7, Father, forgive them as he's being stoned to death. And it's often in prayer that you and I will be able to tell God exactly what we're feeling and thinking and begin the process of forgiving. I was down in the prayer room this week and looking at the different uh, boards and stations down there that are representing each of the sermons in this series. And of course, one of them is about forgiveness. And, and just realizing as I was sitting there just pondering that, it struck me that forgiveness and quite frankly, all of these things that we've been talking about don't happen overnight. They take time. They take an hour in prayer or two hours or five hours or many hours. They're not the kind of things that, that we will get to where we need to be by just simply whispering a quick, Lord, help me to forgive and walking away. It's honesty and truth and difficulty and wrestling and struggling and meeting God in those moments. I read about a, a guy who was a pastor. He went to a church as a new pastor, and for some reason, some, one of the guys in the congregation disliked him. He is still to this day has no idea why. But the, guy, the man began to spread uh, heinous rumors about this new pastor, that he was embezzling funds from the church, that he was having an affair with someone in the church, and none of it was true. And he went to try to talk with this man, and he couldn't talk with him, and he wouldn't talk with him. And every Sunday, the guy would just kind of smirk at him and say, good to see you, pastor. And as you can well imagine... A lot of feelings were welling up within this pastor. And a lot of things that he was imagining he would like to do and say. And he was in prayer one day and he sensed the Lord saying to him, I want you to read Luke chapter 6. And he went to Luke chapter 6 and there it says, pray for your enemies and ask God to bless them. And he said, Lord... I'll pray for him, but wouldn't it be better if I prayed one of those psalms on him? I mean, I I would not mind praying one of those go get him psalms on him. And the Lord just kept prompting him, no, you need to pray for me to bless him. And so he said, okay, Lord, I will pray for you to bless him, but you need to understand right up front, I don't mean it. 
I don't mean it. I don't really want you to bless him. But you're telling me to pray that, so I'll say the words. And he began to say the words. And his prayers came out something like this. Lord, bless this dirty, rotten scoundrel who is killing my life. Who deserves nothing from you. Bless his wife. I have no idea how in the world she could ever live with him. Bless his children. Please, don't let them become like him. But after months of praying, his prayers began to shift and change. And he began to, a little bit more, mean what he was praying. Until he says, I can still remember the day after church, man came up to me, that same look on his face, good to see you, Pastor. And he said, and I said to him, it's good to see you too. And I realized in that moment that I meant it. And I'd been changed. I'd forgiven him. Didn't solve all the problems. But I forgave him. You know, when we come to pray about forgiveness, our prayer is usually, God, help me to forgive. And that's where we start. But sometimes, quite frankly, the only prayer we can pray is, God, help me to want to forgive. Sometimes, sometimes when the pain is so deep and so difficult, sometimes all we can pray is, God, help me want to want to forgive. Because quite frankly, I don't want to want to forgive. And I need you to help me to get to that point. Prayer helps us do that. It's not a coincidence that that Paul and Silas are sitting in jail and it says they are praying. And I don't think they're praying words of vengeance. I think they're praying words of blessing, forgiveness. I think you can pray those kinds of prayers when you realize that you've been forgiven. You know, I wonder when Paul was being beaten... If you didn't think back earlier days, standing there guarding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen unjustly, and thought to himself, I'm only here because God's forgiven me, and if God's forgiven me for what I've done, how can I not forgive other people? We receive the forgiveness of God and it begins to change us. And we begin to take on the spirit of Jesus who didn't claim his rights but prayed, Father, forgive them. I also wonder sometimes if when Paul wrote the book of Philippians and he got to the second chapter if he wasn't thinking about how things started in Philippi. And when he writes the words, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Didn't claim his rights, but became a servant to death. Surely, Paul was thinking about Acts 16, 
when he wrote Philippians. The thing about forgiveness is that it, we often think of it as a gift that we give to someone else. You know, we think, okay, I'm going to forgive you. I'm such a, it's because I'm such a great person. You know, I'm a wonderful person, and so I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let you off on this one. And we act as if we are giving them a gift. And part of our problem is our unwillingness to forgive has to do with feelings of superiority. We say to people, look, I'm going to forgive you because I don't really have anything to be forgiven about. But I'm going to be nice enough to, to forgive you this time. But the truth is, the real gift is not so much for the people we forgive. It's for us. For we who forgive. Because in forgiveness, we're set free from the bondage of bitterness and agony and pain and anger and hatred and vengeance. We're set free from that. Because it holds us in bondage, whether we realize it or not. All of our lives are wrapped up in getting back at people and hating people. And we don't even see it half the time. But in forgiveness, we're set free from that. We let it go. I mean, there is freedom. The, the, the idea of freedom and imprisonment is woven throughout this whole story in Acts 16. In the beginning, Paul and Silas are free, and this girl is imprisoned. And they set her free, and that leads to them being imprisoned. And everyone watching that situation would say, Paul and Silas are imprisoned, and everybody else is free. And that's what the jailer thinks, I'm sure. Until he walks in after the earthquake and sees all of them still there and realizes he has been looking at the world through a photographic negative. The people he thought were free are enslaved, and the people he thought were enslaved are free. It's freedom that allows Paul and Silas to treat him the way they do. They're the ones who are free. They're not enslaved by hatred. They're not enslaved by vengeance. They're free to forgive and to love and to speak of Jesus. They're the ones who have the freedom. I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive people who sin against you, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. And I don't think he's saying there's this cause and effect that God is looking at us and saying, all right, until you forgive that person, I'm not going to forgive you. When Jesus dies on the cross, he forgives the sins of everyone who's ever lived. All the sins are forgiven. The question is, will we receive his forgiveness? And the problem with not forgiving other people is that it builds walls between us and God. Our hatred and our vengeance and our, and our desire for retribution, it, it cuts us off from receiving the forgiveness of God. But when we forgive, it opens the door and the forgiveness floods in. It's not that God isn't forgiving us. It's that we've chosen to block it off his forgiveness. As we forgive, we are set free to live and to feel joy and to not be bound up by the behavior of other people. 
it's, it intrigued me as I re- was thinking about this story that the jailer's response to Paul and Silas seems odd to me. I mean, they, he walks in and there's an earthquake and the jail cells are thrown open, the doors are thrown open and nobody leaves and he walks in and he, he's about to kill himself because he knows if they escape, it's his head. And everyone is still there. And he says, okay, what must I do to be saved? I'm thinking, well, okay, I mean, it was, I guess it's a pretty profound thing that no one ran, but that it would lead you from no one running to him asking, how do I, how, how do I be saved? Seems like an odd connection. And then as I thought about it, I suspect he, was the, he heard Paul and Silas praying, and he heard Paul and Silas singing. And something about their attitude and their lives and the way they were dealing with sitting in this cell in stocks was working on him. And when this event took place, he's looking at them and I think what he's really saying is, how can I know the kind of freedom that you guys have? How can I live in the kind of freedom that allows you guys to sit here and pray to God and sing praises to God despite the way you've been treated and your circumstances? And his life has changed. I think there's some I think there's a connection between forgiveness and singing. Because if we can sing the praises of God in the kind of circumstances that we often have to endure, there's something good going on in our hearts. We may not be there yet. We may not have have gotten to the end of it yet. But if we can sing the praises of God in the midst of being hurt and opposed and struggling, something good is happening in us. It's one of the things that amazes me about seeing our brothers and sisters around the world who face such dire circumstances and they still come together and they sing the praises of God. Something about that encourages us to continue to react to people the way Jesus does and the way God does toward us. I have a friend who has struggled since he was a child with a family member. I've walked with this friend through his difficulties for many, many years. Grew up in a home of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. As he got older, he tried to work through it, tried to deal with it, tried to understand it. But it was always something that couldn't quite let go of. And I often felt the pain that he felt as he described his circumstances. We talked, prayed, wrestled through it. But there was just something they couldn't quite let go of. A part of it was just the sense of feeling, I don't know, I I think there's something in us that almost feels good 
about being able to hold things against other people. And, and even though he's an adult, the, the emotional abuse has continued periodically off and on. It's just been a difficult situation. Not too long ago, we were talking. And he said, I have finally come to the place where I can't live this way anymore. And I'm going to forgive. And a few days later, we talked again. And he said, I went to this person, my family member. And I said to them, I forgive you. I forgive you. He said, I meant it from the depths of my heart. And he said, I don't know how to describe it other than this thousand pound weight was lifted off my shoulders. And all of a sudden, I felt free. I felt free. And then he said, I've been running a question around in my mind since that happened. And what he said, I have to admit, it's kind of been haunting to me. He said, I keep asking myself, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so many years? Obviously, I don't know what you may be wrestling with today. But I don't want any of us 10 years, 15 years, 40 years down the road say, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so many years? Now's the day. Now's the time to begin. Wherever you are, whatever you can say, God will take it and begin to set you free. In this moment of silence, just just hear God speaking and tell him what's in our hearts. Father, hear our prayers. However feeble and cautious and uncertain as they may be, hear our prayer, help me to forgive. Hear our prayer, help me to want to forgive. Hear our prayer, help me to want to want to forgive. Meet us where we are. 
and set us free. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that it would be appropriate for us to take a little extra time today to, to sing. We usually sing after the sermon. We're going to sing a couple songs today. Just as a means of, of expressing to God the desire of our hearts that we want to forgive and we want to be set free. And we are declaring our worship and praise of him like Paul and Silas. So if you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing together. to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful man, torn and beaten man, nailed to a 
This week, if, you, if you'd like to contact me, say, hey, pray for me as I'm dealing with a situation. Uh, I, I want your prayers. I want to talk with you. Uh, I don't want to wait. Please let me know. Talk to someone. Someone who can, uh, can help you as we help each other as the church. Make our way through path of forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore. Amen. Amen.